Hello and welcome to the Dungeon Masters Guildhouse. Uh, this is a weekly podcast in which I, your host, Matthew Whitby, sit down with uh, people all across the tabletop, RPG and surrounding space. And this week, I'm delighted to be joined by Spencer Hipnick. Hello. Or, or should, Hello. I say, should I say pesto enthusiast? <laughs> I mean, at this point, the, the nature of living online is that people call me Spencer, people call me spe- pesto. My brain just processes it all the same. So I, I get, okay, the, I, I, I immediately I have a question of the, the gate. So where, where, did, where did the pesto thing come from? Um, listen, pesto's delicious. Yeah. I needed a username. <laughs> I, it came to me. I used it. This was long before I went into TTRPG design. Uh, I had no idea it would become my brand, but I mean... I don't it, regret it. it. It does feel like, you know, almost like in the kind of like comedic films of like someone needing to give like a fake name and they're staring around the room for anything of inspiration. <laughs> Just pesto, a part of pesto have to, have to be uh, on, on standby. Um, but no, yeah, well, so um, choose, stop choosing pesto and then kind of naturally kind of segueing into the tabletop RPG industry. Um, if people haven't necessarily heard of, you know, the pesto publications and, and kind of the things that you kind of get up to, what would you say is like the, the the high level synopsis? Well, I'm probably better known at this point as a tester rather than a creator. Um, I I've been a, well, I've been an, a tester for MCDM, uh, Kingdoms of Warfare, the Illrigger, um, bunch of stuff um, for a couple of years, uh, and I only recently branched out into um, tabletop role playing design. Um, so yeah, I mean. I've tested a bunch of stuff, MCBM, uh, as a senior contract senior tester. Um, and then on a volunteer basis, I've tested for people like MT Black and uh, 5e Trash and some some dude named Matthew. Yeah. Not, not <laughs> so, sure if you've heard of him. Yeah, so, so, um, so again, we, we, we've had the pleasure to work together. And, and also, <laughs> was it looking at your kind of catalog as well? You've been working with, uh, was it Scott, Scott Matintlock uh, on the, um, the Dune Forgotten Realm stuff? The, uh yes yes i tested the, that yeah, the, too. Well, yeah, the yeah. academy of adventures of app yeah which, yeah 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 which i'm i'm tackling the uh the gazetteer side of of that product um oh, wonderful yeah so again it's it's uh, we also share like, an editor so very yeah, small world yeah it, it's yeah it's, so my first kind of immediate kind of question out of the back is uh out the gate then is is what kind of what was the kind of call to action for testing um so I am a perennial volunteer. I've been a Wikipedia editor on and off for 15 years. Um, I, I like to find interesting things to keep me busy. Um, and way back 2018-ish maybe, um, MCDM was, they just had a successful Kickstarter. They were going to stream the Chain of Acheron, their, their 5e campaign. And they said, hey, everyone in the MCDM community, we're looking for people who want to be Twitch moderators. So I said, okay, I'm going to be watching that anyways. I, I have some moderation experience from other things. I'll sign up. And at some point in 2019, um, they, they said, hey, um, MCDM community, we're looking for people to test this new class called the Illrigger. Um, and I signed up to test that and a couple of other people that were in the community and I all started testing at around the same time. And I think that was August, 2019. So it's been almost three years. Um, oh, yeah. I, 
they brought me on as the contract. Originally, it was the lead tester when I was the only one. And then once they started bringing in other testers, it became the contract senior tester because lead means management in video game land. And I'm not a manager. Um, but uh, that was April-ish. It's, it's been less than a year. It's been almost a year um, that I've been a contractor. And so I've got my fingers in everything MCBM has made except for strongholds and followers. Wow. So I must admit, so it's kind of, kind of fascinating because obviously ha- having having kind of brought you on as like a, a playtest for kind of one, one of my projects, I've kind of seen almost like the, the refinement of the process and kind of what, what I, again, so what I kind of loved is, is when we were kind of working together and stuff like that, after you kind of had, had the play test for, was it, it was uh, the uh, Tome of Silence. Um, the, the Excel sheet that you had, it was like, so I've, I was it, so I've done like a brief stint of like QA um, for, so I did it for the games industry of some, um, funnily enough, some Facebook slot games. Ooh. So uh, like, <laughs> it was oh it was it was a doozy. I have I have a, was it a story where uh, I was there for like a few days, and on the end of like one of my first days there, uh, I was testing like the auto spin feature. So you can say spin a hundred times, and then you know see what happens. Um, I hit the max spin, the max auto spin, which is something like nine hundred ninety nine spins, and I I kid you not, nine hundred ninety eight crashed and it's one of the things where like i have i one i don't know what aspect of this is kind of like a, a you know repeatable bug does this mean i have to come back in tomorrow and, and do 999 spins and they're like yeah you have to you have to see if it, see if it works um but <laughs> that, that um my you know my brief ga- uh, gambling experience aside what was your like i guess was was it were you always kind of um i guess your approach to kind of qa and kind of testing was it always kind of that kind of rigorous? That's naturally kind of what you brought, or has this something that you kind of refined as you've worked closely with, you know, MCDM? Um, I mean, MCDM is where I got my start testing, and um, Lars, who is the MCDM employee that runs the testing, was the QA lead or senior QA manager or something for a video game studio, the one mm-hmm. that a lot of the MCDM people came over for. So a lot of the structure was there, and I was blessed with learning the ropes in that kind of environment. But the spreadsheet that you saw is the work of that original spreadsheet from two years ago being refined by time in the trenches, because what works in video games doesn't necessarily work in TTRPGs. So, I mean, it's really just a a method of being organized. And I... I'm much more of a details and making connections person than a memorization person. Mm -hmm. So the, the kind of analysis of... Is this, is this understandable? Does this look like it's going to work? Um, that, that's much easier for me than, um, say, learning a programming language or mm-hmm. a foreign language. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, what you saw was one person doing it. Yeah. Um, we're at like 200 lines on the class we're working on from a, a half dozen people. Yeah. Um, and, and several iterations. So it can get really like dense, yeah. but yeah, I mean, having, having something to keep you, all your thoughts organized and be able to say, okay, what's been addressed, what hasn't been addressed makes the whole process a lot easier. No, a hundred percent. And I guess, cause I'm always curious. Cause I always feel like, uh, I kind of spoken this about this before where like, it feels like when you kind of get started in the tabletop, uh, like industry stuff, it always feels like you kind of hit stages where first is you always start with like a solo project. 
And then maybe in your second project, you're like, oh, maybe I should get like an editor or like a layer artist involved and stuff like that. Or, you know, at, at those kind of like later stages where you think of like, you know, maybe we should get this in the hand of kind of like play testers. Um, and particularly with a lot of the stuff that you've kind of done with, you know, um, M M MCDM as well, you've done a good mix of, of both player classes, adventures, as well as also kind of like rule sets. Mm -hmm. So I guess I'm kind of curious is like, how do you kind of like, I guess, approaches of playtesting differ depending on what you're kind of what you're working with? Well, I mean, there's really there's two different categories of content. There is the things that need to be actual play tested and there are the things that need to be read through. Um, and everything that gets actually play, play tested gets read through first. Mm. Um, but the content, excuse me, the content doesn't actually really change the process very much. The things that you're looking for are a little bit different when it's a class versus a monster versus anything else. But when you're doing the read through, you're looking for things like, does everything make sense? Like, mm -hmm. um, cause just having anyone else that's not you read it, um, they, will, they will not have the benefit of what's in your head. They can mm -hmm. only look at what's on the, on the page. Um, and and we, have, we have one tester that speaks English as a second language. Um, we have me where I, I unfortunately had an experience with a player that was, um, that guy. Um, I... and so I, I have the, the eye of, okay. Um, so how would someone that's terrible take this and abuse it? And how do we head that off? Yeah, yeah. So, so when you build a team of testers, which is a luxury you have on big projects that you might not have on smaller projects, um, you get a bunch of different perspectives. And so the read through is going to identify, well, this, this, it took me two or three readings to understand what this says. How do we make it clearer? Or this, this looks really cool, but it's going to be really hard to run at the table. So you can do a lot of work just by reading things. Um, the more you test, the more products you've read, even if you haven't tested them, the more you've run at the table you have, you build up this experience of just being able to look at something and say, okay, this looks a lot like this thing that I had before. Mm -hmm. And these were the problems with this thing that I had before. So let's, let's either tell the author this, this might be a problem, or if it's something that you need to test, let's test it and, and put, put that piece under strain and see if it breaks. Yeah. I guess you, okay. Again, it's like almost like a sixth sense that you kind of build up over time of like this, again, drawing on kind of other, other kind of play experience to kind of identify potential pain points before even getting to the point of like play testing, because it kind of comes yeah. through. Um, and oh, no, oh, go. I was going to say when I, when I actually run tests, I have this two or three page document that just goes over everything that I expect of the testers. Like, mm -hmm. what platform are we going to use? How mm -hmm. do you build your characters? Um, what makes a good tester? What makes good feedback? Yada, yada, yada. And part of that is just a list of a very small number of things that she should be on the lookout generally for. Mm -hmm. um, is, is it easy to understand? Does it run smoothly? And the last one I put on there is, is it fun? Because things can look really cool on paper and and then you actually get behind the table and it's just like well yeah yeah so, it, it, so it like, fundamentally we're dealing with tabletop rpgs like we're games we're playing it's, yeah it feels like you know a, a fun is should be something of like a kind of core takeaway um, yes definitely and i i guess so i guess one of the things i, I again i kind of do 
hugely respect about like playtesters in particular is is a, well take with if we take like the the Uruga, for example like a whole new class built from the ground up i can only imagine that like there, there's so many different like configurations where it's like oh it turns out it's perfectly fine in most you know traditional tables but if it's i don't know like one one Uruga for clerics suddenly the game's you know or, you know whatever kind of and i guess it is kind of trying to work out where are where do, where, like, where, where do you draw the lines technically of like okay well this is you know going to be the main experience for the majority of players and what falls under kind of like okay this was like a fringe case within our play testing um i would say it, it, it that you have a balance between testing and revisions and it has a deadline needs to go out mm-hmm. so at a certain point there is a cutoff where you say okay it would be nice if we could tweak this a little bit more but we could be tweaking this a little bit more for six months and it's otherwise ready to go out. So it's good enough. Yeah. And, and knowing where that point is, cause, cause every, every product has that, um, the, that, that balance and knowing where that is, is important. So you don't, don't get bogged down in the reads, but, um, I guess the, the real benefit of having a big testing team and going through several revisions is that you just tackle it in a bunch of different ways. So you're like, I had a product, uh, my first solo release was the Spellshaper Wizard, which is a geometry theme subclass. Yeah. The very first test I ran, one of my friends ran it and he, he dropped the spell in a way like, I immediately knew, okay, this is not working the way that I thought it was. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that kind of thing happens a lot in the first round of testing and then you make some revisions mm-hmm. and then it happens a little bit less and you make some revisions. And then by the third round of, of the document, you've probably tackled all the big things. Yeah. Um, with, with classes, you have a lot more fine tuning and back and forth, but you also have a lot more people that are, that are tackling it. So you have more opportunities to see where things don't work. Mm. And like taking the rigor, for example, Matt wants to revise the Ulrigger because there are problems with the class that really only reared their head, despite all the testing, after it came out. Um, The the, the crit fishing was not part of the design, but it's so lucrative to do that people are playing the class in a way that is, makes it more powerful and probably should be tuned. So Mm. 2020 something, there will be a revision to the Ulrigger. I mean, I guess, I guess, obviously, even with like, you know, any amount of kind of like editing or playtesting and stuff like that, I, it's hard to kind of compare with like, you know, uh, once the product is released with the, the sheer volume of people picking it up and playing it. Obviously, in, in an ideal world, yeah, you could, you like, kind of going back to kind of what you're saying, stuff like that, you could keep something in testing like forever and yeah. maybe by the end of it and stuff like that. But there are always going to be, you know, like uh, logistical issues of like, this needs to eventually kind of be released. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, it's kind of, uh, identifying the major ones, like again, immediately knowing, like you know, you kind of like with spell shaping that okay, this 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 isn't the geometry I wanted. This is yes, this is a slightly different shape of how <laughs> things kind of shaped up. Yeah. Um, no, interesting. So, uh, I, I'm curious then uh, to before um, before talking a little bit more about you know some of your like um, cr- the the creative side of like creating some of the projects on the testing front. What would you say is like your your favorite and like least favorite part of of that process? Um, I don't know if I have a favorite and a least favorite. Um, I like re. I mean, I like seeing the improvements that happen through multiple revisions. Yeah, 
because those are lessons that I can apply to my own work. Um, and I am definitely a better writer for, excuse me, for having been exposed to 50 Arcadia articles written by many of the best names in the business and seeing, well, first of all, I see this is what really high quality work looks like. Second of all, I see this is what really high quality work looks like before it gets through testing and editors. I can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 hugely motivating to see that like um, like the, the the really polished work that you get at the end can be intimidating because you're comparing your first draft against something that has gone through a professional editor and yeah. most likely professional testers. So seeing seeing what it looks like while it's being made makes the process a lot less intimidating. Yeah, so be, being um, able to kind of almost like peer behind the curtain. Of, it, 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 in no way does it necessarily like ruin the illusion, but yeah. you see, you know, all the, the all the gogs, like cogs cheering yeah. and stuff. Like, yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, I, I think it's the, the kind of experience of just being able to, see, again, any kind of collaboration where you're working with against some amazingly talented people, you're just like, wow. It, it, it just, wow. Yeah, it kind, mm -hmm. of, kind of like blows my mind. Um, yeah. For so, least favorite. Oh, yeah. Um, in every project, well, not every project, in any sufficiently large project, mm -hmm. there are going to be things you feel strongly about that are not, that this is a bug, this needs to be changed. Mm -hmm. And when the author says no, and here's my reasoning, I'm fine with it most of the time. When the author says no, I, I, I feel like I want to take it in that direction. I, I think it'll work. And you just know it won't work. And then it comes out and it doesn't work. That's 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 crushing because like, I, absolutely, it is not my name on the byline. I am not responsible for those decisions. Mm -hmm. But you just, could I have pushed it a bit more? Could I have structured what I was saying in a different way? Yeah. And, and we've been told, don't think that way. Your, your job is to identify problems. The author's job is to come up with solutions or mm -hmm. decide that those things aren't problems. But it, it it stings because you know I have a pride in in the work that I do as a tester to yeah. bring issues to people. So yeah, I I, I imagine sometimes again like the issues of, of at least with some of the work and stuff like that. Some of the the issues raised are I guess I guess they, would you would you agree that they're somewhat subjective in nature? Yeah, I mean you go you run the gamut from very obviously mechanical mm -hmm. and very obviously things like typos and and some balance issues, this is very obviously a problem. And then it ranges, um, you get clarity things where, where I, I'll bring a bug and say, it took two or three readings, this probably could be worded this way or that way. And then you just get to like tone. Tone mm. is a really subjective one. And there have definitely been bugs where we say, hey, you're, you're trying to sell this, this really serious tone. And then you've got like a joke here, or you've got, you've got, this NPC that just the way they behave undercuts what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely subjective and, and those are not the ones that bother me. The author has a voice and the author should have a voice. Yeah. It's, it's the mechanical ones that I say, this isn't going to work. And I'm not, I'm never going to publicly tell anyone because that's, that's, that's not proper to do. No, no. Um, I'm never going to tell anyone, Oh, these are the things that I said won't work and they don't work. I'm right. Uh, I would love to. I'm not going to. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, those are the ones that sting. Where you, where you, where you know, okay, this is this isn't working. Can we fix it? And and it goes to print with the thing that doesn't work. Yeah, I think uh, yeah. There's always as well. I think there's there's always been some of the things that I've come across as well is, is based on kind of feedback. 
there's always the, the sometimes the case of like it's 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 almost things like where if if I had the time or the words to like expand it out and stuff out, but like I'm I'm at my word limit, and it's that case of like where, you know where, where do you draw the line of like if I if I wanted to kind of expand or stuff out, where do I cut it? Um, mm-hmm. But that's mainly coming from like a um, uh, like adventure standpoint, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's it for me is uh, it's always scary handing my adventures off for for, for playtesters. I don't think I'll ever, ever get away from it. I, I think it's always that kind of like that that default thing of like like this is my child <laughs> in, in in a weird way. Uh, but it's the it's honestly I I, I don't think. I don't think you necessarily like again running like an adventure yourself with like friends or you know gathering a group of that. I don't think adequately tests you know adventure product as well as you know handing it off completely to someone um, because again you you even if you know you don't always know the adventure back to front even as you being the one who wrote it, but you know again you you have that kind of like you you do the things where things that you're kind of ad libbing or kind of inserting in to make sure things flow better. There's 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 always going to be kind of like pros and cons to those, the that that process, um, which, funnily enough, was it speaking of kind of adventures as a fire, I, I I would I would like to chat a little bit about um, Questmaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you want to give uh, yeah for the people listening, what, what would you say is the 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 uh, the pitch for, for for this particular adventure? Questmaster is a comedy one shot that is an homage to the. Uh, panel show, the British panel show Taskmaster. Um, so I tried to capture the structure and the tone of what is essentially a comedy game show and turned it into a one shot that you can run in three and a half, four hours. Um, and I mean, I, I, it's, it is the product of everything I've made that I'm most proud of. And it is the product of everything I've made that I've had the most people come and say, I have run this and I loved it. Oh, really? Um, so absolutely, 100%. It's it's the thing that I would uh, would recommend if you're going to check out any one of my products. Well, I, I mean, as always with, with these podcasts, you can obviously uh, check out the whole, uh, you know, Spencer's whole catalog. But for was it literally, uh, I, I guess, was it the fact that you, by any chance, were you watching a lot of Taskmaster? And then it was... I may have of- watched the entire, I think at that point, it was 11 series in like a week. But it was also, I signed up for the writer's workshop. Mm -hmm. Um, And I have mixed feeling about the writer's workshop. I think it's an excellent thing for people that are coming in completely blind, uh, or not completely blind, um, completely um, has never written anything before. Mm -hmm. Um, I struggled a bit with with the pacing of it. I wish there were some things that got into more details or that moved quicker, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely something I would recommend. But the structure of you have one month or realistically, because it doesn't have you start writing immediately, you have three weeks to create a, an adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, that really focused me and, and Questmaster was my adventure workshop game. Um, and I, the, the time limit, the time limit is a constraint. The space limit is a constraint because they had a word count. Um, and I've never, I've never met a word count that I didn't bash my head against. Um, <laughs> If you have a word count, I'm going to hit your word count, but it doesn't mean I'm, I can't say hello in less than 500 words. So, so it, it, I think part of why it's so tight is because I had those constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I can't say enough fun things about it. Yeah. I was going to say, I, I always, yeah, I always do find that 
particularly when it comes to like word uh, words um, restraints or restrictions, um, I feel like it definitely does. In in some ways, it it, it does kind of increase your like um, creativity because you're you're kind of now having to kind of hone in and kind of prioritize. Okay, what is the arguably the bare minimum or the the two three things that I I need to kind of capture most to make you know this this taskmaster kind of styled adventure kind of work. Um, I'm curious then, in in kind of the putting it together, what were the obviously trying to capture the the, the style of the show? Um, what were some of the things that you kind of put the focus on? Of like, okay, well, this to perfectly kind of encapsulate Taskmaster, this is what I need to focus on. So there were a couple of elements of the show that I honed in on as if I can get these right, it will sell the product. Mm-hmm. One of them was the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, I have my Alex Horn and my Taskmaster stand-ins. And they have banter between each other at the start of each uh, quest. Um, And so trying to capture that kind of banter to get people in the mood. The other part of it was designing quests that feel like they would be functional tasks. Mm -hmm. One of them is just a straight up, um, I'm going to take one of the best tasks ever and put it into into Questmaster. And that is, um, there is a... Song for a Stranger is the name of, of the task and Taskmaster. It's like, here is this random person. Ask a bunch of questions and use the information you've gathered to write a song about them. Yeah. Um, but of course, because, uh, because this is a comedy product, the person that I, um, spoilers, the person they're asking questions about is a necromancer with a midlife crisis that's trying to reanimate his childhood hamsters uh, or his childhood gerbils um, to, to recapture lost, lost youth. So obviously it's not just like a regular person. Um, but, but the element of, of Taskmaster that makes the show work is you're operating on an artificial time limit that doesn't give you enough time to plan. Mm-hmm. And you have absurd, it, the, the thing you're trying to do is absurd. So that yeah. naturally leads to absurd solutions. Uh, you don't have enough time to plan. The thing you're working on is already a bit crazy. The yeah. language is open to interpretation. So you've got this huge range of things that you can um, do to solve it. And there's a gotcha. Um, there's a, a, like the very first quest, is, again, spoilers, the very first quest, find a mimic. That is a gotcha. It is designed for people to, with the end of it, it's like, ah, crap, I should have thought of that. That's really clever. Yeah. You don't want them to be upset. You don't want them to feel be, to feel cheated. Mm-hmm. Once they realize what's going on, they're going to like, oh, yep, that was totally there for me to find. Yeah. And that does mean that some people are going to think of that and find it immediately. And that quest is just not going to hit the same as if you go through the whole thing. And then at the end, like, oh, but I mean, there's four quests in there. One or two of them are going to hit well. And the other two, as long as you enjoy yourself, yeah. Um, I think you're gonna have a good time with the product. I think this is like the thing when, when it comes to like the 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 nature of comedy and stuff like that. It's it's it, it's it's you can't always not every joke is gonna land with every kind of audience and stuff like that, and that's just the, the nature of the beast. But no, I yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of like Taskmaster myself. I I I, I watch a lot of episodes, I feel bad for Alex Horn. Um but I don't, uh, I don't feel bad for Alex Horn. He, he created the show. He, he he created the show. He yeah. he's the one pulling the strings. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it, it's true. Um but the 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 thing I think again it is it's it's kind of funny and in, in the sense that the the challenge challenges in the show and the things that you can kind of translate to like any kind of adventure and stuff like that is they are that almost like 
almost confusingly simple tasks you know like you know fill this up with water or you know like don't get don't get wet or you know any any of these kind of like weird weird kind of that it feels like just kind of putting it into a fantasy setting it it really kind of like makes the players have to think in like uh, uh, like 4d chess it's like okay now i have magic how can i use magic to maybe like fix or solve these these simple kind of solutions um so to kind of tie in an earlier section we kind of talked about then what was the <laughs> did you do much play testing for quest master <laughs> uh i i run play tests of everything i i yeah. I, I produce um i also like to have other people run it because mm. there's there's the virtues to being in the room, there's virtues to not being in the room. Yeah. Going back to Spell Shaper Wizard, um, being in the room with that first test and seeing, oh, when I said you could turn a cone or a, a sphere into a line, I was assuming that the origin point would be self. And you just dropped a line in the middle of this area, mm-hmm. not connected to anything. That's that's not how it's supposed to work. That is something that I because it was in my head and not on print, mm-hmm. me being in the room to see that it didn't work the way I expected it to, that is a bug that maybe it would have gone to print without being fixed if I wasn't there. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, the author not being there, depending on your group of testers, because like the people that I've been testing with a lot, um, who some of them have become my very close friends, they will tell me something doesn't work right to my face. Mm-hmm. But people, pe- volunteers that don't know you, and maybe, oh, for God's, God's sake, for some strange reason, they, they shouldn't. But people who are intimidated about you, like, uh, by, by like, oh, wow, I'm speaking to the creator, they might not give candid feedback or might mm-hmm. cushion their feedback. And so it, the, the severity of how strongly they feel something is, issue, is an issue might not get through. Yeah. So um, I, I don't know how many tests it went through off the top of my head. I ran at least two. I think I ran three. And then a couple of other people ran them without me in the room. Um, and that was across a couple of different revisions. So I'd run the, I ran the first test. Yeah. I saw some things. I did some tweaking, ran another test, other people running tests. I think it went through two or three levels of revisions, which is about what happens with Arcadia articles for MCDM. Um, three levels of revision, uh, editor t- revision, testing revision second mm-hmm. round of testing final round of revisions yeah. kind of thing um yeah. so yeah i mean i i feel very strongly about a that your testers should be credited and b your testers should get a free copy of it so oh, yeah. i or anyone else that that owns the product can just go in and see how many testers there were and like divide that by four or three mm-hmm. um yeah, some people yeah. test multiple times and that's how many times it was tested yeah, I almost turning into like a math problem. Like, okay, there's there's thirty five testers. Let's do the quick. Like, yeah, probably about was... seven tests. Eight <laughs> yeah, tests. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, dude, that's quicker math than I had. Um, but no, no, a hundred percent. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think in Venice, I, I think almost kind of like, as well, I kind of mentioned earlier about like do almost doing the first test yourself. It does almost mm-hmm. like it, it catches the kind of large structural ones because immediately if you running it yourself are running into problems with that. You, you know that like the next person you kind of hand it off to that there's you know they're almost going to have like a 10 times worse time than, than you did uh, and you're the person who made the thing um yeah. the, the other benefit to testing yourself is if you uh find yourself like if i'm running something and i say eh, 
I'm going to, I'm going to just change what it says right on the fly. Mm -hmm. Then, then, then I know from running it, okay, it'll be a bit smoother if I do this. Mm -hmm. So then I can just make that what's actually in there for the next vision. Yeah. So uh, I'm curious then, obviously with, with the kind of the the stuff you've making, you've got, uh, was it, it's, is it two adventures? Cause the, is it the, the, so I've got the blight of Brian, Brian Burrow, Brian Brian Burrow. Yeah. Brian Burrow and Questmaster. Our our adventures. Then you've got Spell Shaper Wizard, which is a subclass, or is it just Wizard subclass? Yep. And then lastly, the uh, Fantastic Uspell. Yes. <laughs> which is uh, so it seems like you, again you've kind of got got like a, a range of like it's well okay one I was gonna say it's a bit of a guess but are you a big fan of wizards? Um, I'm a big fan of casters. Hmm. I I I I like to have a lot of different options every turn, so I tend to gravitate towards casters. Um, and that's not just in D and D. When when I'm playing a TTRPG inspired video game, or I guess an RPG video game, I yeah. tend to go towards the caster or some other build that has a lot of options and combos and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, otherwise, I just get bored. Um, no, yeah. that fact kind of makes sense. And and then so with the so uh, hmm, I'm trying to think of where to go. So. It feels uh, what okay. So what I liked about the spell shaper wizard in particular and stuff like that is is the fact that it kind of plays around in a very kind of like unique design space. Um, the idea of, of like it, you kind of like touched on it a little bit with, with was it like you know like is it evocation with like the spell shaping, where it's like oh you're using areas of effects but but you can not you're not hitting your friends you know or what have you stuff like that was was the idea of the spell shaper wizard kind of stemming from that idea of like it would be cool to do like a line fireball or was it, uh, I, I'm just curious, what was kind of the... So the origin of that entire subclass was a single spell by Hannah Rose in Arcadia 7, um, <laughs> which was Flurry of Icicles, which um, sh- she had three different shapes. You could make this a, I think it was a, a cone or a cube or a sphere. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's a cool idea. I've never seen that before. What if you had a whole class that could do that? Because mm-hmm. like an evocation wizard can just exclude certain um, allies from being hit by their mm-hmm. fireballs. Yeah. But that's only on evocation spells. And that still makes your, your fireball a fireball. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about the, the, um, the spell shaper is not, their spells are not stronger. They don't get any benefits to any of the casting of any of their spells. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't hit harder, um, anything like that. It's, but the ability to change the shape to fit where the enemies are and where your uh, boneheaded fighter who's <laughs> running into the middle of the enemies right before you cast fireball is, um, that is what makes it powerful. Um, and as you progress, it's, it's it, initially you can go from, I'm going to take a cube to make it a line or, or a sphere um, or a, a cone. And then you can, at a certain point, okay, I'm going to make it a donut because uh, I want to cast fear and the, uh, the fighter is in the middle of the enemies. So I'm just going to have them be in the hole in the donut. Yeah. Um, things like that. Um, so it, it, I, I took that idea that I saw that I thought was really cool and I ran with it. Yeah, no, um, I, in fact, it, it's awesome. And I, I think it, there, are, there, are, there have been so many times where, again, just looking through any kind of like product stuff, like that, where it feels, it feels like a, a, a small, like a small little paragraph. You go, you know, what? I can make, I can make a whole thing out of essentially just one, one aspect that's kind of been presented here. 
Um, and what's kind of awesome about Arcadia is is each each like each magazine is is like it's crammed full of all these different like inspiration kind of points. Um, yeah, interesting. And and then I I was was it something similar with the 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 fantastic ooze spells? Sorry, every time I get the chance to say fantastic, I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> take it. Hey. I have no idea where fantastic ooze spells came from. Um, I, 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 I don't remember anymore. Um, uh, it's oozed out of your mind. You just <laughs> yes, uh, definitely, definitely. I knew relatively quickly that an ooze cat was going to be the thing on the cover. Yeah. Um, as soon as I had that designed, um, I'm like, yeah, that's something that no one else has done before, or at least that I've seen. And that's that's very evocative. I'm gonna put a cute little ooze ocelot on the cover, um, and it, it's cute. I'll give you that. <laughs> but other than that, no idea where the idea for that one came from. So then, I guess, um, seeing as we're kind of working away like down and stuff like that, with with spells, was uh, I'm curious about how you kind of went about the the I guess the the playtesting aspect of that. Was it that you just kind of like again, I mean, it, that, that feels like something like within your home game. You can sometimes get away with giving like magic items that essentially cast the spells, or you just say, "Hey, here's a wizard spell that you, you know you, you've researched as a fact." Or, or, or did you kind of stick with the kind of like, "No, this let's have like an isolated playtest session." I was all isolated playtest sessions. Um, I ran a few. A couple friends ran a few. Um, and and every every full caster has. Actually, I think every type of caster has mm. at least some spells on the list. So I gave the full list of a dozen spells to everyone. And then depending on whether they had a druid or a, a, a ranger or a cleric or what have you um, in their party. Actually, I don't, I don't think there's any for cleric. Cleric might be the only one that doesn't. I mean, the clerics, they don't yell Uzi. No... <laughs> yeah. But warlocks and sorcerers and wizards and druids, yeah. um, they... they Bards? Yeah, definitely Bards. Yeah, but Bards are Uzi. <laughs> yeah. I do like, it's like the test of like, is this subclass Uzi, yes or no? And you're just like, Paladin? No, nah, they're not Uzi. Druid, Druid are Uzi. Well, I mean, there's a note in there, like, if, if you decide that you're going to be a cleric of say, uh, a slime god or something like that, yeah. just talk to your DM and say, hey, I think this list would work for my cleric. Um, and they're probably going to say yes. I mean, mm -hmm. The benefit of rigorous testing is you know that it's not going to break anything. Yeah. So I'm curious. Out. So of the uh, was it 12, 12 spells you've kind of got there, um, is is the ooze summoning the ooze ooze a lot your favorite, or is there like a spell that you have like a soft spot for? Ah, uh, there's a couple of them. Um, I love one of the higher level spells is just um, there's a historical event that actually happened in Boston in like the 1800s where a molasses tank broke and flooded like several blocks. <laughs> okay. So I have a spell that's just like, I'm going to open a cone, a 120 foot cone of molasses that just knocks everyone back and makes the area sticky. <laughs> um, there's also gelatinous wall, which is a great way to um, throw off any pursuers because now all of a sudden they're stuck in a wall of gelatinous cube while you run away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I had a lot of fun with that one. No, I was gonna say it feels like it does it does most of the things you expect from like a wall of force, but it's just a lot more goopier. Yeah. <laughs> no, also, and yeah, fair was fair. I, I guess it, it like when it's it, it is hard to kind of sometimes pinpoint where the inspiration kind of strikes for some projects. Um, but it, it sometimes it is always that that simple of like you know what having like a core central theme of like 
ooze or was I, I did like a, a subclass the other day where I was like uh, playing um I was playing around with um uh paladins and I was like you know what like being able to like throw and smite like do the throwing hammer smite and stuff like that that, that you should be able to do that earlier you shouldn't have to like wait wait to get so far into the be able to like throw a smiting hammer and stuff like that and that was it and that was the whole gimmick that you kind of like ran with um but it's kind of nice because you end up with like almost like very small compact things you don't have like there's i've definitely had some projects as well where it's a case of like the i i i almost sometimes lose track of like what the core idea is and then the, the feature bloat they end up with like you know too much too much diff things are going on um then but oh, what uh, to, to, to kind of i guess round things off because again the only one we haven't kind of spoken about is is the light of blind blind the blight the blight of brine barrow uh was is that intended to be a tongue twister or am i just is it just me no no it's just like <laughs> brine as in salt water burrow it just seemed like the kind of thing that townsfolk would name their little fishing village yeah they're, they're pretty some of them are pretty on the nose aren't they <laughs> like in, in reflection like years after the date um what was what was the inspiration behind uh this adventure then the picture on the cover is of, and I will butcher the pronunciation because I don't speak German. It's like a pilferstorch. Hmm. Uh, it's a, a migratory bird that uh, flew down to Africa, was shot with an arrow, uh, survived, flew back to Germany, uh, died in Germany. And, and that, that bird and other ones like it were how um, Europeans learned that birds migrated. Um, Cause there's, wait a second, this, this arrow is not from around here. Um, so, so that as picture. As just between oh, God, like this and the, and the, the, the Boston story and stuff like that, it feels like you've got like so much like real world lore, like weaved into this. <laughs> I mean, that one, I got lucky. I saw <laughs> the image that's on the cover of that. I saw on Reddit's uh, TIL today. I learned hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> a ghost, a, a vengeful ghost of a, of a pilfer storch. I could do something around that. And at the time I was just getting started, this was October, November-ish, maybe a little earlier. Um, I, I wanted to grow my mailing list. So I thought to myself, oh, I'll just gift everyone a stat block. It spiraled out of control from there. Bloat <laughs> creep, feature creep, what's that? <laughs> it has a sea shanty now. It's a full adventure with a sea shanty and a cool monster and a couple of items. And it was a valuable lesson in um, setting your uh, feature list before time and not just throwing cool things in. Um, <laughs> and, and, but... you know, I, I, yeah, I almost preempted this with me talking about like my, my tangents of that for the, the, the flight to literally go through a similar kind of journey. Um, so I, I guess I'm kind of curious then. So what, obviously with, with like a spectral bird, I can definitely see you going and again, a more similar like the lines of like you know the quest master where there's some comical aspects of it you know it's, it's a ghost bird it's not or did you kind of lean in the kind of the opposite of like no we can actually make this ghost like a significant kind of threat with like a eerie um, story behind it it was definitely a significant threat um one aspect i didn't mention is that it was a halloween release ah, so yeah. yeah um like it, it it is a little bit too powerful for a low-level party um but then again, you, you sort of get that anytime you're dealing with undead before you have magical weapons. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's got the same resistances as a regular specter does. So uh, you, you need to prepare yourself and, uh, 
and uh, it's going to be a nasty opponent. But, I mean, it's a solo battle, so four or five players against one creature, they're going to probably win. Uh, Someone might spend half the battle unconscious, but, you know, they got a good story at the end of it. And and so was it literally the case of like after kind of standing up this like okay well let let's see how we can kind of you know turn this and then I said, this impaled bird <laughs> into like a stat block and so was it after you kind of complete that stat block that you like you know that especially there's some legs to it and again I feel like if people haven't seen the bird they won't know how leggy this bird is <laughs> but but was was that literally like essentially the turning point or was was there kind of like an outside influence of like no maybe I want to do an adventure now. I knew there needed to be some plot around it because just giving people a stat block with no context for how to use it, mm-hmm. I don't think that, that people are going to use it. But giving them a, a quest hook, like, hey, there's this bird that's that's in pain. It died from this, this arrow that it's been carrying around, and now it's terrorizing a village. That's the kind of thing that a DM could just like, okay, I'm going to take that hook. I'm mm-hmm. going to put in some other stuff. Maybe going to change Brineborough to this village that they've been to before, that kind of thing. So I always, I always knew there was going to be some padding around the stat block. Yeah. But as I went, I kept adding things and adding things and adding things. And at a certain point, I was inspired to write a sea shanty, um, <laughs> which basically explains everything um, indirectly. I- uh, um, how, how did you find writing a, a sea shanty? Is it like, are you a, 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 a sea shanty connoisseur or is this more no, like- No, no, it just felt right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I guess, my mom was like, I, I, I didn't ask it, but I was like, how much, how much was, it, was the, the sea shanty, sea shanty play tested? <laughs> like, the sea shanty, a couple of people that ran it, um, ran the sea shanty. Um, and they, they, the groups all pretty much got what was going on because nice. the, the, the story in the sea shanty is ultimately parallel to the story of the bird mm, yeah. and the solution in the sea shanty, like what ultimately happened to the sailor that it's talking about is the same thing you need to do with the bird. In, so, it is, yeah. Yeah. It's it, it's it's like, like almost like tight in like you can you could have like the sea shanty be completely unrelated at the start of the adventure as like a hook that the party just hear. Um I, what I do I love in particular is is sometimes that that appeal of like writing almost like completely like setting agnostic like adventure content where like you kind of mentioned like the, the fact that it's it could work easily in any kind of location and just uh, even like from just a story hook to now have it that any kind of DM can let you just take the adventure and just plop it wherever they need to. Um, yeah, I think sometimes because a lot of the stuff I've been doing has been almost like gripped tightly within the like the forgotten realms for posting on the dungeon dungeon masters guild so every now and then that's like you know what let's 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 step out of the, the forgotten realms for a little bit and just let people take take you know take adventure that can kind of go and kind of be used anywhere yeah. um wow okay cool well then i guess to, to round things off about the um like your writing experience and everything then, um the same sort of question about what your, your favorite and least favorite part of of the writing process is um hmm uh, honestly, part of it is coming up with ideas. Um, I have way more ideas than I'm ever going to write. Um, I like to joke uh, that I just spin the wheel. <laughs> um, I, I, I shoehorn cobalt into everything. Um, but I, I, I love testing my products um, because running, creating something and then running it and then seeing people enjoy it mm-hmm. is really fulfilling. Yeah. I love testing the products. 
Um, I love sending it off to, to the editor who, for all my solo releases, has been Sabriel, who I know you've worked with. Yeah. And, with, and, uh, and Dame Sabriel. <laughs> yes. Dame, Dame Sabriel. Officially yeah. Damed. Yes. Um, and then I like releasing it because the juice is other people are experiencing our product and mm-hmm. running it and, and they like it. I mean, if, if it, it, writing all this serves no purpose, if it's just going to sit on your hard drive. Yeah. Um, so definitely, I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of a, a cheap answer, but no, 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 my products. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of like, like you say, it's fulfilling. It's like, you know, anytime you see like, you know, was it like a, the notification, like thing, your product's got a review and it's like, these people who like I don't know I haven't like you know I haven't coerced them into buying it they have their own you know to you know they've gone they bought it they've had a good time that's you know more than you kind of asked for um but then what about on the other side of the coin then about your like necessarily least favorite um marketing 100% it's marketing uh I am terrible at marketing talking about cool stuff easy the ask I'm terrible at the ask. Buy my stuff, please. This is the only time I'm going to ask because, like, I hate doing it. I really hate doing it. Yeah. Um, I, I, quote retweeting other people's stuff, talking about how cool it is, great. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's just a psychological barrier I have that it's going to hold me back. Yeah. But at the same time, like, yeah, I I think I don't know what it is, but I, I think someone and like the, the approach to social media and stuff like that, it feels weird because it does feel like with each kind of like promotional post, it feels like you're nagging people, even yeah. then it's it's even it's not. Um, and then was I, I've mentioned this a few times before and stuff like that, but like the problem with marketing particularly is the fact that technically it's never done. No, like, <laughs> there's, there's the rest of them. Like even if you release something two years ago, you can still market it. It's it's just it just depends on like you know how how hard you kind of want to go. But yeah. I think what I do like about at least particularly like, you know, the, the drive-through slash DMs guild model is the fact that like, as products have a longer shelf life, the steady drip feed of like meddling gives you kind of like an incentive, like, hey, it's, you know, it's a copper now. Hey, it's a silver now and stuff like that. And that feels like a natural way to kind of, you know, celebrate the success and well as kind of like remind people that X, you know, <laughs> X product still exists. Um, but no, I, I think I'm, 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 I'm sure with you on that one. Um, which, which this is why marketing's it's an employable skill. This is why yes. people have market departments. <laughs> yes. Um, awesome. Well, then I guess to kind of pull back and then look over kind of everything that you've kind of done then. Um, has there been kind of like a particular choice that you've made in your journey that like you, I guess you're like particularly proud of, whether that is from like a way you kind of conduct testing or if that is like a way you've kind of, um, you know, uh, tackled like a, a design problem in one of your products can i say an entire product because like no i mean i i've already gone over this i i think Questmaster is is it's not a magnum opus because i still have a long career ahead of me but like <laughs> that's the one where everything clicked yeah. um i think i nailed the tone i think i nailed the design i think uh the only thing i would change is that i would do another one so that like um, Matt, Matt Colville has threatened to do a, uh, an MCDM convention once the pandemic abates. I would love to have entirely new quests and run that, um, live at a convention yeah. because in Questmaster, the party is competing against four groups of NPCs at a convention. You can just have five groups of players competing Lit- to do these same ridiculous like, quests. Like and I think that would be amazing. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think as well, it kind of does, uh, it lines itself up for like, almost like expansion packs. Yes. <laughs> um, is, that, is that something that you're kind of like entertaining the idea of? I mean, right now um, I'm working on other things. Um, I have a long list of things that are interesting to me. Yeah. But if if a quest idea pops up into my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah, this will work. Yeah. Then Questmaster 2 would probably bump up to the top of my list pretty quickly. Fair. Like, I, I, sometimes it is nice to literally have have that kind of like leeway to be like, okay, it's 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 like I've got like, what is it like five out of ten like brewing ideas and stuff like that. Once I hit like 10 out of 10 ideas, that's when I can like turn things on and you know kind of chip down and refine those. Um, yeah, I've got like, yeah, a, a similar case of like where it's, 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 <laughs> there, there's been times where you literally have that one shower thought that's like, okay, I was going to do this today. Not anymore. I'm, I'm starting a new project. It's one of those days. Um, awesome. And then I guess in a, in a more reflective note then, um, over kind of everything you've done, what's the lesson that maybe you wish you learned sooner? Um, there's two of them. Uh, one is perfect as the enemy of the gun, which I think is a very common lesson that everyone in the TTRPG space knows going in but has to learn the hard way um there were times i stayed up until 2 a.m working on one paragraph and while ultimately the paragraph came out better uh staying up until 2 a.m was not a good use of my time uh the the other lesson and this is one that i think if we as a community do a better job we can spare new people from having to learn is that getting off of the ground is really hard there's no good onboarding process. You, you wind up um, piecing together information from blog posts and from the documentation of sites like DriveThruRPG. And if you're lucky enough, you know people already in the community and can ask them questions. But the thing that I would tell people that want to get in is you need to budget time and mental energy for getting all the nuts and bolts set up, um, getting your store page set up, getting getting everything that you need to do on the, the payment end, the, how, where's the money going to go, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And that can't be the same time and mental energy that you're using for creating products. Yeah. You need to assume you're going to spend 15, 20 hours and it's going to be frustrating and it's not going to make you any money. And it's not going to, you're going to, you're going to question a lot of your decisions. And that is just the getting everything set up, mm-hmm. making sure that you have your your, your workflows and every, all of your accounts and everything in order. And it would be really nice if there was just one blog post to rule them all. It was just a checklist of go here, do this, um, put this paragraph in your text, do that, um, sign up with this service, yada, yada, nuts to bolts, soup to finish. But that doesn't exist yet. Yeah. Uh, And I don't think that I'm the right person to create it because I've only been at this since October. And I, I think as a, another unfortunate way is is released with the tabletop RPG is there are so many different avenues you can you can go. I oh, mean, yeah. like the 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 start to finish process from you know uh, starting and releasing on itch is different from drive through is also different from the DMs Guild. So it it feels like there's 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 the, you I think you are right. There there are a lot of hurdles, and that that's why I think in some ways I you know I definitely do do respect things like you know what you mentioned before the storytelling collective about you know at least having some structure from getting people, you know, um, and kind of easing them through that process. But, but yeah, I, I think as well um, that we can only benefit from, you know, more uh, on ramps for a wider range of kind of creatives, you know, to kind of go about the journey, however, you know, they want to go about it. Um, 
yeah no i i, I honestly I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think of like who we could point to and just be like you know what they, they'd be good to write that resource and we could <laughs> politely badger them <laughs> to make um I, I mean i have a short list at the top of that short list is james and jacasso but i mean he i i think that like He's a lich that feeds off of helping people enter the community and lifting people up. Yeah, I was gonna say, um, I don't, I does does James sleep anymore? <laughs> um, <laughs> I which which actually, you know, speaking of um, what speaking speaking of James in particular, uh, but no, people kind of in in the community is like a bit of a segue. Um, obviously, a lot of your work has kind of been kind of working with like you know getting involved in the tabletop RPG industry and particularly you know MCDM. Who would you say are, I guess, some of the figures like, you know, in the tabletop RPG community that are like, you know, points of inspiration for you? I mean, obviously James and and Matt Colville, but like, uh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Um, the great thing about working at Arcadia or, or testing stuff on Arcadia is I get to see so much uh, free, uh, like so much um, really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we're on to testing issue 18 or 19 now. So I've yeah. seen like 50, maybe more articles. Uh, the Workshop Watches by, um, by Leon Barilaro, um, Great Adventure, uh, Periodic Table of Elementals by Mackenzie de Armas. I have put every, every class that MCDM has released has gone up against those elementals because they are just great monsters that push your, your party in, in ways that a lot of monsters don't. Uh, the Chained Library by Cat Evans is just a really evocative setting. Um, 100% it inspired something, a big project I'm currently working on. Um, Goldmonger Subclasses by Carlos Cisco is the first time I've ever been interested in playing a druid. So <laughs> like, I just see so much cool stuff. Yeah. And, and you pull bits and pieces from everything you encounter, whether that's Arcadia or other stuff that you see on the DMs Guild um, or core products or TV shows or books. Um, so, so you get your inspiration from a lot of places, but definitely I feel like it's been a benefit to work on Arcadia and see so much cool stuff by so many cool people. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been an absolute blessing. Like you was it, I think back to when it first started, it's like, okay, it's going to be three issues and <laughs> we're just going to test the waters from there. And, and now here we are like going up to come on 18 and stuff like that. So yeah, no, it's honestly, yeah. I, I feel like it, it, it feels like, again, for the longest time, um, it, it, it touches on was it the old, old dragon magazine it has that same energy and buzz to it um that it feels like again for uh the recent years we, we've just been lacking something like that and it's yeah it's been perfect and again we know for a fact it's been it's been made all the better for, with your involvement thank uh, you yeah nice uh, and then well then i guess speaking speaking uh to kind of i guess round things off because looking at the time uh so we, we've done it we've we've managed to survive um but you know, before leaving, uh, obviously you mentioned you've got some coals in the fire. Uh, what what's some of the cool stuff that you're you, you're working on that you can talk about? And obviously, where can people you know stay up to date with everything? So um, the the one that I can talk about, I'm uh, almost ready to send to testers, uh, is a collection of aquatic kobolds uh, or seabolds. <laughs> um, uh, MCDM is coming out with a monster book. And they're going to Kickstarter it. And part of that Kickstarter is going to be a free packet that has samples of their design. And a lot of the design decisions that they made, um, which I can't talk about yet until the Kickstarter, were really inspiring. So I thought, I like the direction that they're taking monsters in. Um, Matt's definitely said on, on stream um, that, that clear roles for monsters um, and, and uh, being able to 
like he really liked uh, in fourth edition oh this one's an artillery and this one's uh, a get up in your face meat tank mm-hmm. uh and this one's a stealthy and and so I, I i ran with that design um i've got a bunch of kobolds that are all i mean again Kobolds are my default. I was going to say, it feels um, like the, the under the ocean is one place is that you're safe from kobolds, but now it seems like you're no, trying to write. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, and and uh, they're they're brine water, lightning, seashell, that sort of inspiration. Yeah. Um, so I'm really excited about those. Um, I'm working on uh, uh, hopefully final revisions on a really really large project for a publisher i can't talk about it yet i'm hoping that it will see the light of day this year but that publisher has a lot of things on their plate and uh and so i'm not 100 percent sure what the timeline is or yeah. what it's going to look like but i've been working on that for the better part of a year now um so i'm really excited for people to see that and uh yes it has kobolds in it um <laughs> <laughs> like the, the the timeline for certain like tabletop RPG, they're both like a blessing and a curse. Like you have the projects where it's just like it's a blur from start to finish, and you have the ones where it's like I, I just wanted to see the world. It's, it's it's been it's been a while, but that's that's the the nature of the beast. Um, and yeah, obviously, where we yeah, where can people obviously hear about you know as and when you announce these things? So I mean, I suppose you could uh, carve an eldritch uh, a ring of eldritch runes out of pesto and try to summon me. But uh, probably the easier way would be to follow me on Twitter. I'm at Pesto Enthusiast, all one word, mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, once you're there, uh, there is a uh, pinned tweet that has my website, which is uh, uh, pestopublications.card.co, I believe. And, and as, I otherwise, yeah, they'll, they'll be linked to all of these in this. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And, uh, and right there in Twitter, there's a, a link to join my mailing list. Um, Blight of Brineborough went out for free to everyone that was on my mailing list. Um, and, and when I have some bandwidth to give out more free stuff, I'm definitely going to do it. Um, so yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter, uh, subscribe to the mailing list. So you're the first one to know about whatever kobolds are next. Uh, and I'm working on a psionic class, but we're going to see some psionic kobolds out of me. At least, at least this way again, with no, no pesto is harmed in, in following you on Twitter at the very yeah. least. So yeah. you can, you can save it for your, you know, actual using it for food and stuff like that. Yes. Um, but no, honestly, Spencer, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to sit and have this chat. It's been, it's been delightful. It's, it's awesome to kind of, um, again, uh, to steal my own words from earlier, peek behind the curtain of, of testing, testing. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, the people listening, again, are going to have a, uh, appreciate your, the valuable insight you've given. Um, well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, no, no, yeah. Welcome back anytime. Like, yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I must admit, this this is the year. This was it third year doing the podcast. I'm gonna start getting repeat guests, and we're gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna start making them do almost like Taskmaster Design Challenge. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna take inspiration. Um, but no, other than that, was it? Yeah, I've been Matthew Whitby. You can find me at Whitby Writes. Um, it should be mid-April when this comes out, so I might have some things. I don't know. I <laughs> this is the problem with recording them too far early. I might, there's some things that I can talk about and can't talk about. Maybe they're out. Who knows? Check in the description if, if they are. <laughs> uh, but that brings me to the final and arguably my favorite question, which is um, how, do, how do you end a podcast? Uh, well, I mean, first of all, thank you again for having me on. Um, second of all, uh, I have a speech. Um, oh, <laughs> it takes a village to create a TTRPG writer. Uh, I 100% would not be here without uh, the mentorship and the time 
of a couple of people. Uh, James Dewar, uh, Von Ruski, one of the other testers who relentlessly prodded me into um, submitting my stuff and pitching my stuff until I actually did it. Um, James Intracasso has uh, given me so much excellent advice on writing and on the industry. Nick Despain, uh, who is uh, one of the artists at MCDM, um, taught me everything I needed to know about writing an art brief. Uh, Laura uh, Hersperner, I, I sent her a message saying, hey, you, your website design is really cool. Uh, how, how, do, how did you do it? She sent me the code. Uh, that's why our websites look so much uh, similar. And then like Matt and Lars at MCDM, because uh, testing at MCDM really has opened up so many doors, um, exposed me to so many cool people. Um, and I, I definitely look forward to being able to, to repay the favor one day and be the person that talks to other people about whatever, whether it's testing or, or breaking into the industry or the things that I've learned. Um, the, the rising tide uh, rises all ships. So definitely look forward to being able to, to return the favor to the community one day. So uh, hit I me up. That, that, that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah.